Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you this day. Amen. Today we continue in our series that we've been in for some weeks now, talking about the work of the Spirit, what the Spirit does and how the Spirit's influence in our lives, what that looks like, and how the Spirit transforms us. As many people know, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, we had some acreage and we had apple trees for the most part. So um, we had other fruit trees as well, but a lot of apples. And the property's been in my family for some generations. And when my grandpa lived there and he and two of his brothers farmed three different farms between them, there were apple trees and they were producing really well. And my dad grew up, you know, every summer was, you know, drive the truck down in between the apple trees and load up these bushel baskets full of apples, take them to the market where they would be sold, or take them to the fruit stand that was over on another road that a guy operated. And when I was a kid, the trees didn't produce quite as much. They'd aged some, and there were some other things that grew up in and around the trees, those volunteers, those things that birds or squirrels or however they get planted, I don't know, but some trees had been taken over by other other species, other trees growing up in the middle of our apple trees, disrupting the production of the orchard. When we moved into our house and we were looking for a house, I remember going in and seeing it. And Paula and I went to an open house and we kind of took turns because I think it was Drew that was asleep in the car. And so she went in and looked at the house and then I went in and looked at the house. And we saw completely different things. She saw the kitchen and the island and the windows and the rocks around the fireplace, which I I saw it. I saw the trees. Because our house where we live now has seven fruit trees on it. And the property is a whole lot smaller than the property I grew up on. But there's a lemon in the front and a tangerine on the other side of the sidewalk. And if you go around the side of the house, there's a peach tree. Not the peach tree that was there when we bought the house, but one that I had to plant to replace the one that was on its way out. And then an orange tree and a lime tree and a pear tree in the corner and a plum cut tree. I saw all these fruit trees and thought, I'm home. I don't need to see anything else. Well, is there a bathroom and a bedroom? I mean, I'll need those things. Paul uses the image of fruit and trees to describe our nature as it is affected by the work of the Spirit within us. But the section begins with Paul describing the struggle with our sinful nature. We are sinners living in a sinful world, which is not a new condition at all. It wasn't a new condition in Paul's day. I mean, if you rewind from the New Testament into the Old Testament, find the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah is... Being called to be a prophet of God, he has an experience, it's this vision. He, he sees the throne room of God and the train of his robe fills the temple and there's smoke and there's these cherubim and seraphim flying around and, and the whole building is shaking with their voices and his reaction is terror. He says this, this is Isaiah 6 verse 5, Woe to me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
See, in this sinful condition that we carry, we can't be in the presence of God as we are. Isaiah understood it. The idea that, that God is love and God is nice and loves everybody, well, that's true, but God is also holy and just. And so we balance a love for God and a fear of God, and Luther does that in the small catechism well with the commandments, that we fear and love God. We fear God because of his holiness, because in our nature and who we are on our own, we could not stand in his presence. We have this sinful nature that always works against us. Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us. We're together in it. And we have this nature, and the nature that we have, our flesh, as Paul describes it here, works against the Holy Spirit. We heard these words read from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The desire of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like, I know what I should do. But. I know what I should do in this situation, but... And what holds us back? Our, our stubbornness? Our laziness sometimes? Our complacency sometimes? Our patterns? Our uh, trenches that we have dug into? And we get stuck in these places where we can't. It feels like we just can't overcome where we can't do the things that we know we should do. We can't do the thing. Like, we just, we want to. I know what I should do. But I just, something holds me back. Something prevents me. Something pr puts hurdles in my way. Or we do something that we think, oh, that was the right thing to do, and then it doesn't work out quite like we had hoped. Or, Temptation shows up. You ever have temptation show up? Yeah. Shows up for all of us. And, and when we know, like, no, no. That's not what I should do. That's not where I should go. That's not what I need to be thinking about. That's not where my attitude needs to be or whatever it is. And we know, right? But here we go. And we feel like, and I don't know, I mean, you've probably felt this way. I can't avoid it. I can't overcome it. I can't resist it. Paul did too. The Apostle Paul, same author as this book of Galatians, also wrote Romans, and he says this in Romans chapter 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul's been there. I've been there. You've been there. This flesh that we have, this... And it's not a, a distinction between our skin and our bodies versus our soul or spirit. It's just our whole existence, this sinful nature within us. 
We were made in the image of God. We're, we were created to be perfect, but we were also given the freedom to choose, and Adam and Eve chose. And they chose to consume a fruit that was forbidden, and ever since, we've been born with a nature that is subject to the same temptation, the same problems, the same failures, the same decay, the same punishment. We all stand guilty because the fruit of the sinful nature is rotten. Paul has a list in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. The works of the flesh are obvious, he says. We can break those into four categories. There's, there's physical struggles that we face, fruit, if you will. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, orgies. There's spiritual struggles as well, another category. Idolatry and sorcery are on his list. We have emotional struggles, fits of anger, envy, and relational problems, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Here's the thing, Paul tells us this is not an exhaustive list. Because at the end of his list, he says, and things like these. In other words, whatever it is that's the fruit of the flesh that we see in our lives. Maybe that includes gossip or slander, indulgences of any kind. There's many other things, every sin. That fruit brings death. Just like Adam and Eve consumed that forbidden fruit. And it brought death. Paul's list here says that brings condemnation and death. That would be our future. That would be hopeless for us. Paul even says this in verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul doesn't mean those who do thing, those things like, like one time. It's those who do continually, those who live in that, that's those for whom that's the fruit, right? That's what it looks like. That's what life looks like regularly all the time with no repentance, with no struggle against, etc. That's what he means there. But he says this, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, the Spirit brings us to faith in Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to connect us by faith to Jesus. This is what the Spirit is about. Working through word, through sacrament, through even other people in our lives. Opening our hearts, our minds, our eyes to see that God in Christ loves us. That we need not be terrified along with Isaiah because we've seen the Lord of hosts, but we can be confident in his presence because we understand the forgiveness of Jesus. Our guilt is taken away. Our sin is atoned for. Those words spoken to Isaiah after his moment of terror when the seraph, seraphim angel 
flew and picked up a coal from the fire and touched his lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. That forgiveness is yours and mine through Jesus. And so as Paul says here, we're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That doesn't mean we're free to disregard it altogether and live however we want. But the law is not oppressing us anymore. It's not crushing us down to nothing. It's not condemning us because the love of Christ in Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. We can now see the law as the guide for our lives, not the burden on our shoulders. The, the law is now shows us the way, shows us the path, gives us the path to live in the freedom of Christ. We'll revisit that next week, the freedom that we have in Jesus. But the struggle continues, right? The struggle continues, right? The same struggle that we have with the flesh doesn't go away. Luther talks about daily drowning the old Adam. It's a daily, continual struggle that we will still find ourselves in throughout our lives, even as the Spirit transforms us. As the Spirit works within us, we become more and more like Jesus, right? Jesus is the, the goal, the ideal, the one who's, who's given us the, the model, shown us the way, but transformation takes time. A good model for this or a good visual for this is, is the caterpillar becoming the butterfly, right? Lowly caterpillar. Maybe the, the kind of worm that crawls around that you just, it doesn't, it's not the fuzzy, friendly-looking caterpillar, right? But the sinful nature in us is more like the one that you just look at and go, oh, that's gross. We were talking last night about um, bugs that grow in your garden and eat your tomatoes. And somebody was talking about the, the tomato bug with the, the tomato worm. I don't know if that'd be, that probably doesn't become a butterfly, does it? It's just worthy of just getting squished and... It becomes a moth? Okay. Not a pretty moth, no. Not a friendly moth. Back to the caterpillar. Not quite the friendly one. but It crawls around, and then at some point it goes into that chrysalis or cocoon. And for all, you know, to the, to the eye, it looks dead. It looks buried. But then it emerges from that with a completely different appearance, a nature that seems so completely different from the crawling around caterpillar, right? Just so completely different. Paul talks about that in baptism, we're buried with Christ. He talks elsewhere about that we're crucified with Christ. We put to death the sinful nature. And the Spirit of God working in us helps us to emerge. But in that emergence, there's still struggle. The butterfly to escape the cocoon struggles. We're still in this. We're not quite there yet. And we struggle. Our nature has been transformed, but we're not flying in freedom completely because of this struggle that we still are under, even while the Spirit is at work within us. But this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit bears fruit. The Spirit bears fruit. Even while we're struggling, the Spirit is already bearing the fruit that Jesus 
asks us to bear. The fruit of the Spirit is evident. In Luke chapter 6, which is described as the Sermon on the Plain, similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think that's what this section is. But it's, uh, Jesus says this in verses 43 and 44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. So one of the fruits that we had when I was a kid was peaches, and I, I love peaches. That's why we have a, another peach tree, because when the old peach tree was on its way out, I was like, I can't, I can't. I've, now that I've had peaches in my yard, I can't not do that. We have two dogs, too. So I, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, I was walking a dog, and I'm going past, and somebody in the neighborhood has a peach tree. At least I think it's a peach tree. It looks like a peach tree, and the fruit, you know, kind of fuzzy on the outside. And there's a branch. It's just hanging out right there, and it looks ripe. So I just, they're not picking them. There's a whole bunch of them on the ground. So I borrowed a peach. And I took it home, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have a peach today. Mine aren't quite ripe. I'm going to, you know, eat one of these. It was the worst peach And I thought, that's what I get. (laughs) The just reward for an illicitly acquired peach. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad. That's probably why they're falling to the ground, because the people who who live there are like, these peaches are terrible. I don't know. A bad tree bears bad fruit. What's the fruit look like? The fruit of our lives is what we do. It's the actions that we take, inspired by the Spirit of God at work within us. And Jesus tells us the fruit should be abundant. By this my Father is glorified, this is John 15, verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're not proving it to him, he already knows it. He already knows who his disciples are. He already knows who's following him. We prove it through the things that we do, though, to ourselves and to other people. What's the fruit look like? How abundant is it? We have uh, one of the trees I talked about at the beginning describing our backyard as a plumcot tree. And this tree bears abundantly, especially this year. I looked up under that tree. I wish I'd taken a picture of it so I could show you, because a few weeks ago I said... You know, we could pick a thousand of these off of here and we wouldn't even know the difference. There's just fruit everywhere. The problem I have with my plumcot tree is it all becomes ripe within about five days, it feels like. And it's, it doesn't hang on the tree. Like, my orange tree gets ripe at about January. And I still... This is, we're almost to July. I still have a couple of oranges way up in the top of the tree that are hard to get to. If I get to them and I beat the squirrels or rats or whoever's climbing up there, if I get there, that orange is still going to be good. It's been there for like six months. The plum cot, if I find a plum cot on the tree, you know, six months later, it has like fallen in between some branches and it's dark brown and really gross. That, that tree, it's just, poof, here it is, all this fruit, and it's all done today. And then it starts 
releasing itself and having a flight straight down where it hits the yard. The early ones are okay. They bounce a little. They're easy to pick up and put in the bucket because once they hit the ground, there's bruises and it's just not as good. We can't possibly eat or use all these plum cots. You know what this tree does? It does not care. Whether or not we are going to consume that fruit, it doesn't pay attention to what we're doing. Its nature is to bear abundant fruit. That's a good visual for us. Bear abundant fruit. If it falls to the ground and nobody sees it, okay. Tree doesn't care. It's planting a seed, possibly. Our abundant fruit in our lives that we can bear can plant seeds in places. It doesn't have to be, you know, all of a sudden someone is consuming like it's doing an immediate benefit to somebody that we see. Bear fruit. Just keep bearing fruit. Through the spirit at work within us, bear abundantly. Because the fruit affects our lives. The list that Paul offers for the fruit of the spirit show up in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we think about those same categories that we looked at in the fruit of the flesh, they're physical ways that the fruit of the Spirit manifests. Love, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Spiritually, love, joy, peace, goodness. Emotionally, love. I'll give you a hint. The love is going to show up in every one of these categories. Love and joy and peace. Relationally, love and peace, gentleness, patience, goodness, kindness. Paul's list is pretty all-encompassing, but there are probably fruits that we could identify that the Spirit gives to us that don't show up here. But this is what the fruit looks like, the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Jesus says he's talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches, bear fruit. What does he say? So that you'll love one another. Love like a plum cod tree. Here it is, abundantly, whether or not it falls in the right place. Have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be at peace. How many people are just all wound up? Be at peace. The fruit of the Spirit. Let your peace be evident. Patience. Oh, all we need is just a little patience. I'm quoting a rock song, just in case that was missed. Kindness, couldn't everybody use a little more kindness? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The world needs our fruit. 
The world needs us by the power of the Spirit to bear that fruit, to share that fruit. Bear it. Grin and bear it. We'll do that with the fruit that the Spirit gives us to to bear. In Jesus' name, amen.